to curl one in. Players over, Johnson! 2-0 Derby! Beautifully fashioned free kick. Rotherham were expecting the ball plumped in straight away. Derby play it short, change the angle, the loan knocks it in, and Johnson gets his second goal in quick succession. And most importantly, Mark, a two-goal advantage going into the break. So come on to talk Derby to me. Bradley Johnson, I think before we get into like the important questions about your football career and your Derby career, uh, the most important thing everyone wants to know is how good am I as a wicketkeeper? Hey, you're not bad. You're not bad, I'll tell you that. It was a charity match, but you took it like it was a serious match. So, yeah, I'll give you that. You, were, you weren't too bad. I, don't know, I know we gave you stick on the day because you let us down a bit. Mate, my fingers are just about recovered. <laughs> but yeah, it was a good day, though. Really yeah, good day. Yeah, great day. I'm not really a big cricket fan, but got I got right into it. I wanted to have a good good go. Follow on from Waggy because Waggy was on fire. But um, Ken for Waggy. Yeah, I thought I'd be good at batting, but I only up I got about three runs. So, but I enjoyed it. Though. It was a good day for a good cause, obviously. Yeah, I mean it's a great cause, and obviously Forsyth. Can you put into words what Craig Forsyth's career at Derby County? It's it's very rare nowadays, isn't it, for someone to have that that kind of tenure at a club. Very rare, and I think the way football's going now, I don't think it will will happen again. Maybe in the lower leagues, but a, a, a big club like Derby, I don't think it will, will, will happen a lot more um, in this day and age. Like you said, it's very rare, and it's just a character and testament to him. You know, he's he's a great guy, um, a close friend of mine that I've gotten really well with, and I still do now. Um, actually, next door neighbours, so I see him quite a bit. But yeah, testament to him. You know, it's a great achievement and um, something that. One of the things I don't think he appreciates it now, but when you do finish, to to spend 10 years at one club is a great achievement for yourself as a player because, you know, in this day and age now in football, a lot of things change, players go and, and stuff like that. You know, you don't get new contracts and stuff, but for him to be rewarded, um, a stay for 10 years at one club and to play as many games as he had, the injuries, the setbacks he's had um, and... The setbacks the club's had, you know, he's he stayed with the club through thick and thin. I'm sure there would have been times where it would have been tough for him and his family and they might have thought about moving elsewhere and stuff, you know, with the situation the club went through. But he um, stuck with the club and stayed stayed loyal to the club and, you know, he, he deserves everything he's getting, getting in his career. Well, then hopefully, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to play with him for four years and um, be in the changing room and play with him for four years and, you know, I know he was just as desperate as I was to get his club promoted. And, um, you know, it'd be a great achievement for him to hopefully he can do that this year. And, you know, the boys have spoke about it. The boy when we played the testimonial, I think Connor gave a good speech after the game and, and we handed him a shirt and he just said, um, hopefully we can do what you've been wanting to do for 10 years this year and get this club promoted and, and earn a promotion with this club. Because that's, that's the only thing he's missing is a promotion. And he's a, like, just my perspective of dealing with him the last couple of months a thoroughly nice man as well like a top bloke yeah yeah he's not your you know footballers get stigma of our uh, we're, we're we're this we've got attitude or whatever but um, I'm I'm very grounded myself and, and Fozzie is very grounded himself as well so yeah the perception that footballers get given nowadays um, you know he's a total opposite he's just he's just like one of your your normal mates your normal normal people you know he goes to work uh, goes football every day, comes home and he's a family man. Brilliant. Well, you're back at, before we get into your playing career, you're back at Derby County now and involved with the under-21s, been playing today. Um, what's that role kind of involved? Is it a bit of 
I don't want to compare you directly to the Tom Huddleston role, but is it like playing and coaching, like a bit of a mentor type thing? Yeah, that's, that's how I see it. Um, you know, it's something that I want to get into coaching. Um, so I've done all my badges um, while I was playing at Derby. I've done them all. So um, something I think I only, I only thought about um, later on in my career about what I want to do after football. And football is such a short career. So football's all I know. Um, I've I've been fortunate enough to, you know, to have a 20-year career in football played a lot of games and um, for me it's all I know and I feel it would be a disservice to football if I just packed up and left and didn't give anything back. Um, you know, my upbringing, my my upbringing, my way I, I come through in football wasn't the easiest. I didn't come through an academy so I, I, I done it through the hard route and I think I can relate to a lot of these young kids, you know, I got released at 15 um, and my world, I thought it finished. And uh, but you know, I stuck to it and eventually worked my way back into football through the non league system. And I got my chance at 19. And um, you know, I know what it's like getting released and you think it's the end of the world. So, you know, when I go back into coaching these kids, um, I feel I can relate to them. And when they hear my story, how, how I've done it, it's, it's just you know, I, and I always said this to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm not the most talented player, I wasn't the most technical player, but one thing I did have was, was a heart, work hard. Uh, I knew I had to work harder than everybody else in training and stuff because I wasn't the most uh, talented as a player. And that's what got me the career, you know, that I've had. Um, so, yeah, my role at Derby is playing with the 21s, um, training with them every day. Well, not so much every day, you know, I'm 36 years old now, so I can't train like they train every day. But training with with I can, just setting standards, you know, um, on the pitch in training, being the best trainer every day you can working hard in training, just setting them standards off the pitch as well, you know, look after yourself off the pitch, do extras. And I've always said this, you know, uh, Matt Howe uh, made me go down to the uh, graduation for the new academy scholars this year. And I've just always said to them, they don't realise how lucky they are to be at a club like Derby. Um, the facilities we've got, the training ground is second to none. And uh, I just said to them, don't regret don't waste your time here. Use everything to your advantage. You know, we've got great coaches who want them to be the best they can, who are always willing to learn. We've got great coaches here. We've got analysts. You know, it's something I never grew up with. Never had an analyst or or a training ground with a swimming pool, sauna, 20 pitches, AstroTurf, a gym that is equivalent to your David Lloyd gym. The gym at the training ground is, is amazing. So make the most of it and use it and don't look back if you leave the club and think, oh, I should have done this, should have done that. And because I've got regrets in my career, I wish I'd done this and I wish I'd done that. So it's just passing on my experiences that I've had. And, you know, they're, they're giving me, with me giving that to Derby and, and, and the 21s, you know, they're helping me with my coaching career. So um, I'm fortunate enough to be with Bucko. Uh, Bucko's the lead 21s. So I know well, I played with him. You know, we just bounce with each other. He lets me take sessions um, here and there. So, um, I'm learning, so I'm, and I'm enjoying it. Being around the building, being back home, um, living back home with my my family. I've been away for the last five years traveling, and it does get to you. Um, so being back home, so it's 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 a role that when they offered it to me, I I, I thought about it because I I feel I could play on. Um, I could have played on. I had offers to play on, but you know when you get to my age, I think you got to look at what's next. And I could have played on for another year and then been in the same situation I was this year where I was thinking, what am I going to do? I could have played on for another year, but, you know, this opportunity coming, it's a great club, um, a club I hold dear to my heart. And um, 
yeah, I jumped at the opportunity when they um, offered me to play a coach role. So, I mean, it's tough because, you know, playing games now, we're playing against the the best of the best, the best 21s in the country. We're playing the, the likes of Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, the Chelsea, all the best academies because we're obviously, we're still a Cat 1 academy. So, it's tough. Um, we haven't won many games. Um, but, you know, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the coaching side of it and I'm enjoying being that, like you said, that mentor. You know, I get a lot of the lads, all the 21s, they come up to me, they pull me, I'll be having breakfast and two of them come and have a chat with me and ask me, John, what did you do when this and what would you do in that? And just, just yeah, being a mentor to them, I think, I mean, I'm enjoying that side and, uh, being, as I said, being at a club that, that, that I, I enjoy being at. So it's yeah, a role that works good for Derby and good for me as well. So it's a perfect match. Is it nice that you can carry on playing and it's kind of on your terms? You're getting your coaching experience and doing that alongside playing a bit rather than one day you... Yeah, I think, yeah, I think for me, this this role is... And you did touch on there about Tom Holliston being the recognised first one to have it. But I think this role is getting... A lot of more clubs are doing it now. Um, and I think for players like myself, and I think the clubs see it as it's good for them and it's good for us because we're coming to the end of our career and it's not, so this role, it's not like you finish football and then you go straight into coaching. So I feel like I'm still part of it. I'm in the changing room. I'm training every day, like you said, when I want. So the transition from maybe playing to totally stop playing and again to coaching, I think this role is like a gap where you get that transition where you're still keeping fit, you're active, you're, you're training, but then you're coaching. And I think it's a good transition, a gap for players like myself to go through. And I think you'll see it a lot more because I feel it's benefited the 21s. I think they do. I think they love me. They love having me around and, as you said, bouncing off me and, and learning from my experiences. And I think it's good for the clubs as well. You know, Bucko, he's got me in the changing room with them and I'm sort of with him as well. So I'm not saying I'm, I'm that person in between, but, you know, it makes Bucko's job easier because Bucko just come up to me and say, how's the boys feeling? And, and stuff like that. So, I think it is a good role for players like myself who are coming towards the end of their career and want to go into coaching as well. So it's not a role that many clubs will just give out to many players. I think the thing that why I got offered this role is because, you know, Derby as a club could see that I wanted to be a coach. And for the past four years, I've been coaching the academy. So even though I left playing uh, Derby, I've always been back there for the last four years, down on Tuesday evening and Thursday, uh, and I've always been in the Ryan Academy coaching. So they know, I, they know I'm serious about wanting to be a coach and they're just sort of helping me along the way, and I appreciate that. Before we get on to your playing career and, and time at, at Derby and, and other clubs, we always start from like the beginning and, and I'm talking about like the early days of you getting started, and you've touched on it that you had a bit of a difficult route into into the professional game being released. What what happened there then? Was you released at fifteen and, and then you had to just not give up in the in the non league system for a bit? Yeah, so I was at Arsenal. I started at, and I started playing football for a kid late. I started playing at nine years old. So um before that I was into motorbikes. I was in a motorbike display team and um from five till nine and then I was playing football but wasn't really taking it seriously and then at nine years old, they started clashing because it was on the weekend. And my dad just said to me, what do you want to do? Do you want to stay doing your motorbikes or do you want to go and play football? So I chose football. And I joined a Sunday uh, team and I was there for a year and then done well. And believe it or not, I was a striker. Um, I scored a lot of goals. Um, and then at 10 years old, I got scouted by Arsenal. And 
growing up in East London, Arsenal on my team. I'm, I'm an Arsenal fan. Um, so for them to come knocking on my door, I was buzzing at 10 years old. So I was there for five years um, at Arsenal. So all through primary school, I was there. And then the first three years of secondary school, I was there. And um, it got to a point where they offer out their YTs and I didn't get one. And um, as I said there, being at my boyhood club and at, at 14, 13, I, I've seen kids now and I, and I look and I, I like laugh at them because I was the same. I'm going to be a professional footballer. That's what I was. I didn't care about school. I didn't give it. didn't care about nothing. I didn't even like school. I was going to school and I couldn't wait for it to finish to get back home and, and go out and play football, which a lot of kids are like now. Or a lot of kids go home and play bloody PlayStation, which I hate. Um, but, um, yeah, so at 15, I got released. And I think at secondary school, it was hard for me as well because, as I said there, I wasn't good in secondary school. I wasn't really concentrating on education. So I didn't take it that serious. And every time I got in trouble, it got to a point where my school wouldn't call my parents and tell them that I'm in trouble. They'd call Arsenal to try and punish me. So I found that hard where a lot of my friends, when they were getting in trouble or getting put on report, we used to call it in school, their parents would get um, notified. But me, they phoned up Roy Massey at Arsenal and they tried to punish me that way. And I didn't like that and my parents didn't like it. So I ended up going to Arsenal. I was getting in trouble when I was going to Arsenal at 14. And they were saying, you're not behaving at school, doing that stuff. Which, looking back now, I, sh- I shouldn't have been like that. But I understand why they done it. Not my school. I understand why Arsenal ended up putting on on report. So um, yeah, at fifteen I got released, and then I felt my life fell, fell apart. Then the next time I got in trouble at school after I got released. So when I got released, I felt I went back to school, and everyone was the school was laughing at me. Like my PE teacher, um, I ain't spoke to him since. But I've I've said this in, in a few podcasts I've done. Like he was, I hated him. Because he was like, you're never going to make it. He was, you know, one of them typical school teachers, you're never going to make it, you're going to be doing this. And then when I got released, he actually come up to me and was like, oh, I told you you're not going to make it. I'll never forget the day he did that. And um, so when I got released from then, the next time I got in trouble at school, I got excluded. So it felt like I got released from Arsenal and then three months later, I got kicked out of school at 15. So... That was heartbroken. After I got released, I went on trial at Charlton and Watford and they said no because they'd already had their um, scholars. And the rejection hurt me, hurt me really bad. Um, so I didn't want to go and trial anywhere else because I didn't want to get rejected again. So I sort of, I went back to my Sunday league team at 15. And um, where I left there at 10 years old, and I said to you, I was, I was a good player, I was a goal scorer, I was a striker. Being at Arsenal for five years, I was good technically, a little bit good technically than my grassroots. But when I went back to my grassroots team, I got released from Arsenal because they said I was too small. Mm. So when I went back to my Sunday team, I, f- I was I could cope with the technical side of the game and all schools, but the physical side of the game I couldn't cope. And with the expectation of when I went back there, everyone was like, "Oh, Bradley's coming back. He's going to be so good. He's going to be this player." And I went back there, and I wasn't that player that I was when I left. So everyone was looking at me thinking, oh my God, he's not that good anymore. I, f- I found it hard physically and that knocked my confidence as well. So I went back there and I found myself there for about three months. And then I just said, that's it. I don't want to play football no more. Wow. Um, it's, I must have been 16 now. And then, um, so I was looking at stuff what to do elsewhere. My, and my uh, family, like all tradesmen. So I've done um, um, 
So I didn't finish school. I went straight into college at 16 and I'd done an apprenticeship in carpentry. Um, and I'd done that for about six months. But then at the time, I was still training with my Sunday league team, but then they went into like, um, you know, a lot of teams do this school program now where they join a college. Yes. And, yeah, and the academy thing. They done that at Wolven Forest. And because I didn't finish school, I didn't have no grades or anything. I, I couldn't go to the college. So I couldn't run on that program. But the coach said to me, you can come. So the boys who went to that program, literally my whole team, they were going to college five days a week, training every day, and then playing on a Saturday. And then the coach, Dave Muir, said to me, you can't come to the college because you, you wouldn't get in, but you can come and train with us um, on a Tuesday afternoon and a Thursday afternoon. So while I was doing my apprenticeship um, in carpentry, I didn't have a job. The college I was at, you you went to college three times a week and then you had to work two to, uh, twice a week, but I couldn't find a job. So with that time where I was meant to be working on a Tuesday and Thursday, I was going to college Monday and then I was going to train with the boys on Tuesday and then college Wednesday and then doing that for about four months. And... Um, yeah, growing up where I grew up in East London wasn't the nicest of places. And, you know, I was well known around the area for being Bradley Johnson, who played for Arsenal at the time. And then when I got released, I just went and I got up to no good. I went and hung around on the streets with my friends, which was easy for me because I didn't want to get that rejection. I felt the only safe place for me was with my friends back on the estate playing football. I didn't want to get out of that bubble. But growing up there, you know, a lot of things happened. And then I got caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. And um, I ended up getting stabbed in my legs when I was 16. And um, that was just growing up from the estate I'm from. Um, you know, you hear about it a lot in London now, all this postcode rubbish and two estates were fine. It was because I was from that estate and they knew who I was. They stabbed me in my legs because I played football. So that was a wake-up call. That was my biggest wake-up call uh, for me. So um, that happened. And then, you know, um, Dave Muir, who I was training with Barking Abbey. My dad said to him, oh, is there anyone um, that you know who can help? Because I was getting my love back for football at that time. You know, I was going to the uh, training with Dave and I was playing with him for the weekend. And I started getting my confidence back. And, um, you know, and then that happened and that knocked my confidence again. And then it put me out for about two months. I couldn't play football, two months. And then when that happened to me, like my dad and my parents were like, you need to concentrate now what you want to do with your life. And I was like, it was a big wake up call for me. So that was my turning point. And I was like, yeah, I want to give football another go now. So um, my dad spoke to Dave Muir. Um, he said, uh, what can you do to help? And uh, Dave Muir said, look, when Bradley is back fit, he said, instead of coming, he can still come to us and train on a Tuesday and Thursday with the um, college boys, but to keep him active and keep him off of his estate, he can go and train with the first team on a Monday night and a Wednesday night as well. So, it was at that point where I had to choose again between college and football. And my dad said, what do you want to do? And I said, oh, I don't want to be a carpenter. I didn't like the, the apprenticeship anyway. And um, so I chose that. So when I got back fit, they allowed me to train with the first team. And I was, I was still 16 on a Monday night. Then I was with the college kids on a Tuesday night. Then back with the first team on a Wednesday night because they were part-time. And then, yeah, I just got my head down, trained, done that. And then I... The first team manager liked me and uh, he played me in the first team for Wolven Forest a few times. And um, I broke into that. And then um, Dave Muir sent down a scout from Cambridge who come down to watch me for a couple games. And then they 
offered me a trial to go up to Cambridge. Um, and they they asked me, would I like to go out there for a trial? And it wasn't it wasn't even a question. I was like, yes, I want to go. When can I come? Like, I'll, I'll be there. And uh, so I went up there. I think two two other boys. So we went. It was me and another boy. So we went up to Cambridge for a trial for one week. I got invited back for another week. And then Ricky Duncan, the coach at the time there, was said to me that they want to offer me a contract. Um, but they can't offer me, they can only offer me a non-contract, so they, they wouldn't be on any money, they won't pay me. They, but what they'll do is they'll put me up in digs and pay for my accommodation. We wouldn't pay. In Cambridge, they had one big house where all the scholars lived. It was crazy to think about it now. There was 22 of us in one house and one woman looking after us, Pauline. Um, so Ricky said to my dad, we can offer him a non-contract. Um, we'll give you expenses for bringing them up on the Sunday night and picking up after the youth team game on a Saturday. But um, we'll put him in a house. He can live up here, obviously feed him and stuff like that. And and then it was a case of me saying, I didn't even think about it. It got me out of London. So I had to move out of my house when I was like about 17. And it was an opportunity that I, I wanted, you know, um, with everything that happened in the past. I was like, I can't live in London anymore. I can't be around my friends. I needed to get my head down and go. And it was the best thing for me. I left London at 17, moved into a house in Cambridge with the youth team. And then from then, got my head down, cracked on, played in the youth team there and uh, trained with them every day. And then broke into the first team within four months and um, trained with the first team. I made one appearance for Cambridge that season. And it was a season they got relegated from League Two. Mm. Um, And then because I was on a non-contract and I'd done well for for the six months I was there, um, Northampton uh, come in and signed me. And then that's when I signed my first professional contract. At 19, I was at the time um, at Northampton. And again, I had, at that time I was 19, I had Southend interested in me in Northampton. And Southend were... I think they might have been in the championship at the time, or there was a league above Northampton. But if I went to Southend, I'd have to live back at home. And if I went to Northampton, Northampton offered me a flat up in Northampton to live. So it was it was a no-brainer. I was never moving back to London. Um, so I turned down Southend and I went to Northampton. And then that's where my career kicked on, really, from there, Northampton. Do you ever look back and... In- like I know it's dangerous to, but do you ever look back and think what would have happened if I'd have, I wouldn't have if I had football at that time and I'd have been stayed around hanging around with the same people in London and like what what would have come of it? Do you ever have them thoughts? Yeah, all the time, and and it's 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 weird that I actually think like this, but it was the best thing for me. Looking back now, it was the best thing for me getting stuff. And I know it don't sound great doing that, but if that didn't happen to me, then I wouldn't I wouldn't be here now. I I, I just take like the negatives, I try and put a, a positive on every, every negative. I know people might think what you're talking about, but, you know, if that didn't happen to me, like you said there, I was going down the wrong path. If that didn't happen to me, then, yeah, I don't know where I would be today. Would I have been, still been there with my friends and getting up to no good? Yeah, I do look back and and, and think, what if, if that didn't happen? Or what if, you know, you hear about these kids now, they're getting stabbed every day and, and you know, losing their lives. You know, I was lucky enough to, survived that but yeah I do look back and think what if all the time and 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 that's why you know everywhere I've been and everything I've worked for I've worked hard and I appreciate everything um that I get and you know community is a big thing for me and um I feel like 
wherever I've been, I've tried to always give back to the community now because I, I grew up in a very, you know, my estate was a multicultural state, religion, all sorts of religion, multicultural, like loads of ethnicities. And it was very community. So I come from a community and I've always liked to give back to wherever I am. I'm living in Derby and I've done a lot for the community in Derby. Um, same, I've done it when I was at Norwich and at Leeds as well. So yeah, sometimes I do look back and think, what if? But And that makes me appreciate everything that I've done and, and what I've got now a lot more. The other side of it is like obviously devastating at the time to be released from Arsenal at 15, but did having to go down the path you went down playing different, like playing football and getting that that um the strength side of it as you said and, and developing differently as a footballer because there's always an argument when we have coaches on this podcast of like it's playing till 23 and not playing a first team game or playing till 21 and not playing a first team game is that affecting young players do you think like you you develop differently as a, a player because of the decisions that were made and you had to go a different route yeah I'll answer two questions I'll, I'll, go, I'll go back onto the 23 thing but I'll go back onto my thing first I think me not having that, what would you call it, the academy upbringing, like the academy, being in the system and in the academy and, you know, going to grassroots and non-league. I was playing non-league football. I was playing in the Ryman, I think it was a Ryman Premier for Wolven Forest at 16 and playing against men, getting kicked about against men. And I was playing left midfield at the time. So, and, you know, when I was 16, I was, I was, I was a bit quick. I know that might surprise you because I ain't got no pace and okay. never been as a player. But I was a bit quick, so, you know, I had to learn quick, you know, and I see a lot of kids now, you know, everyone wants to be that player who gets the ball and can take on four people, five people. But if you try to do that in the Ryman Prem, then you were getting kicked, you're getting pushed off the pitch. So I learned very, very quick. And at 16, I was I was like, a, I was a twig. I was so small. And that man, playing against men, training with men twice a week and then playing, playing against men, it manned me up. And also... You know, game playing men's football where there's a crowd. I was playing, I'll say a crowd, it was about 30, 40 people, but it's a big difference. Playing 30, 40 people playing in front of that and playing in front of zero is, is nothing. And what really got me is there was people, men playing there for their living. Like, well, I, was, I didn't even think about that at 16. But when you go into it and think, there's people actually playing there to pay their mortgage or pay their bills. I learned that from a young age, like people are doing it. They're not doing it because they love it as such. They obviously they love football, but they're doing it as a job. It's their job. So I learned that from a young age. Like I was still playing for fun, obviously because I love the game, but you know, we're playing away games for instance. And I didn't have nothing to do after like on a Tuesday night, on a Wednesday, I didn't have nothing to do during the day. I didn't have a job or I didn't go to college at the time. So we're coming back from an away game and, we were fortunate enough to have a bus at uh, uh, Women Forest. We weren't the best of buses, but we had a bus. And we were making noise on the bus. And there's lads on the bus going, shut up, because I've got work in the morning. I need to sleep. I've got to get up at 7 o'clock. You ain't got to... And, you know, just little things like that. As you don't appreciate. You don't realise that. So when you go into this environment and, like, you know, 21, 23, they don't realise that because a lot of stuff is given to them. Like, everything's done for them now. Especially nowadays, you know, when I went into professional football when I was 19, I was still cleaning boots. I was cleaning changing rooms. You know, if I saw a first-team player, I would I'd shit myself. I wouldn't say, you have to say hello to I wouldn't say anything. Whereas I think nowadays the culture has changed. Um, you know, the young kids don't clean boots anymore. I know I sound old school, but it's just the way I was brought up in it. And it teaches you discipline and respect. 
And that's I think that's one thing that you need in football is discipline and respect. And it goes a long way. Not just in football, just in life as well. But um so yeah, at, at 16 I was playing men's football, which is a was a big thing. And then I think even so much more as when I went to Cambridge, I, I got in the first team pretty quick. So that was was a good thing for me as well. And then when I went to Northampton, I couldn't get into the first team there and I asked to go out on loan. And I didn't care where I went, but I just needed to play men's football because I've I've had a taste of it. Then I went to Northampton and I was playing in the 18s at the time because, yeah, the 20, was it 19s or, or reserves at the time. When I signed, they didn't have this 23s yeah. or 21 what it is now. So, and I don't know, people don't agree with this, but I, I think personally for me, and that's because probably I've, the way I've been, but I speak to a lot of people from my generation is that it was better back when I was growing up where you had the under 18s and then you had reserves and then first team. Because what happens now is when I was at Cambridge in the under 18s, if I got called up to play for the reserves, I was buzzing. It was a big achievement for you to play in reserves. I remember playing my first reserve game and my dad was like buzzing because I was playing in reserves in football. But when you played reserves back then, you were playing against pros who hadn't played on the weekend. And there wasn't a number of, like in this 23s now, you can only play three overage players. It was the reserves league was just literally like a first team league where the players who, even if you played 20 minutes on a Saturday for the first team, you knew on Tuesday night you were playing in the reserves. And that was just the norm. Every pro knew the situation. If you was on the bench on a Saturday, you didn't get on, you had a game on Tuesday night in the reserves. So when you're playing reserve team football, you're playing against men and there's something on the line. So these men who are playing, these pros and men who are playing in the reserves want to try and get into the first team. So they treat the game properly. And being an under 18, you get to realise that and you see how they carry themselves in the game. There was no friendly game. It was always a proper game. And now I think we're bringing this this 21s and 23s, there's no reserves. You know, there's not really nothing. You can only play three first-team players down in the 23s. And a lot of the time now, pros don't play in the 23s. They've sort of... I've seen it at clubs where I was at Norwich and, you know, players who, who weren't playing on the Saturday, if they get asked to play in the 23s, they're like, I'm not playing in the 23s because they think I'm going to be playing with their kids. But whereas back in the day, it was called reserves. And do you know you had to play? So I think, and again, you touched on it there, where a lot of players now in the academy systems are getting, playing in the playing for the 23s or go through to the 18s, 21s, 23s, play there, play in the 23s until they're 21, 22, and then they get released and they ain't played a league game. And I think it's harder for, for the bigger clubs because I've seen it, a lot of young kids at Arsenal's or Chelsea's, they're getting massive contracts now at 23 years old or whatever, 19, 20. They've stayed at the club for three, four years and then they get released and then and they think they can just walk into a championship club or, or a League One club or even a Premier League club and think, yeah, I've been at Chelsea or Arsenal for five years, but they've not got one league appearance under their belt. And where I was, where I was 20, I think I'd already played like 80 or 90 league games in men's football. So it is hard. Um, but being in the 21s now, it is it is competitive for the 21s. But I think growing up, 
and call me old school or whatever, but I think it was a lot better back in the days when there was reserves in football. Hey everyone, just a quick message that I'm going to be in Derby on Wednesday the 1st of November. I'm going to be signing copies of my book and it's going to be a Q&A and a lovely evening. So I hope everybody can attend. I hope people can turn out and get a copy of the book and have a great night in the Bellingcastle. For more information, just check out the bio and the link below for how to get yourself to the event. It'd be a brilliant night and I hope you all can enjoy it. From Northampton, obviously successful spells at, at Leeds and Norwich. We'll get to your time at Derby, so I don't keep you for too long. When the opportunity came to to come to Derby County, why why Derby at that time, and what made you make that move? Playing against Derby previously as before, there's always been probably one of the hardest games I've played in. Um, you know, always a team that played football the right way, and um, you know, I think the year before was the playoff year where you're unlucky to go up. Um, and yeah, just the way Derby played and being obviously coming to the to the stadium, I know the fan base is is terrific. And I think I've done what I did at Norwich, you know, helped them get promoted, got promoted, and I found myself I wasn't getting in the team. And um and I think that comes from the way I've I've grown up. I remember going back to when I was nineteen, I weren't getting in the team. I always wanted to play football. So I wasn't getting in the Norwich team and, and, you know, maybe we went up and they probably seen that I was, they thought that, and the manager did say it after when he sold me, he said oh, he thought I wasn't ready for the level, even though by that time he saw me, I'd already played 100 Premier League games, so I could handle it in the Premier League, but that was his opinion. Um, but, you know, I think it got to a stalemate where I wasn't playing and I couldn't see myself getting back into the team and I wanted a new challenge. So when Derby come knocking in, in on the last day of the the window, which wasn't ideal for me. Um, yeah, it was a challenge that I wanted to do and, you know, I wanted to get another promotion. I felt the squad that we did have, it's one regret I do have in football is that we didn't get promoted with the squads that I played with at Derby. We should have, a million percent, we should have got promoted. We didn't. But, um, yeah, and I felt it was a club that was on the up. You know, when I, when I spoke to um, the owner and stuff, Mel, before I come, you know, it was only positive things and he wanted to get the club promoted and, you know, I knew a lot of lads here um, through Chrissy, playing with Chrissy at Norwich. I spoke to him before I come and he was the same. He couldn't, he couldn't say anything highly enough about the club. When you arrive and at the time, it's in, well, it's in the press and everything that you're record signing for the club. Does that add a, a bit of pressure to you if you come in with a, like a, a price tag on your head or is that something you don't think about as a player? No, you don't think about it as a player. It was, you know, it was a foot. Well, the second time that I've been bought in my career, um, I've, obviously Leeds paid money for me when I was in Northampton a bit younger. But then, you know, the price tag, it don't play on your mind, but it, it, it is nice to get bought, to be wanted, to feel wanted, you know what I mean? And um, I know it was a big thing at the time. Um, I think they broke the record twice in one day, didn't they, with me and Jacob. Um, and, and again, that was a, a reason I come here as well, because the ambition of the club, you know, um, where they wanted to go, where they wanted to get. But um, no, I don't think the price tag paid um, weighed me down at all. You know, I'm just honest. You know, I didn't really think about it. I just got my head down, come in. And I knew that, you know, it can either go one of two ways. You know, you can come 
and be a big price tag and, and, and not play well and not get your head down. And then that that's when the price tag comes on you. You think, oh, what a waste of money. Or oh, you can come in, get your head down, work hard, and then people will see that. And I felt I'd done that. I felt every time I play for Dub, I'll, I'll give the honest performance. I always give 100% every game I went into. So, you know, people might think, oh, yeah, it was a waste of money or whatever, but I didn't let that 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 weigh me down at all. Oh, no, I wasn't suggesting that in any way. I was just from a, like a psychological point of view. I was just thinking, I've always imagined if I got, say, for example, I was good enough to be a footballer and then you get kind of this in the press, it's, oh, the record signing, they broke the record twice in a day. You've met, I don't know if you'd think about it. That was the only question. I'd not oh, no, no, I know you didn't mean that, but I know I've, I've obviously heard a lot of people say, oh, we're wasting money, but then people say it the other way. It's, it's opinions, isn't it, really? But no, psychology, I, I didn't let that, that weigh me down. I just wanted to get playing football again because I hadn't played for a while at Norwich. Um, and I just wanted to get playing football again, and that's all I was concentrating on. And that first season was was one of the seasons Derby went close in uh, the semi finals. Istanbul, where they obviously were nearly pulled off uh, a near miracle in the in the semi finals. Yeah, and there was obviously I think Fulham, and then we'll get onto Leeds and Villa later on. But could you put your finger on? I know it's a difficult question to ask. Why? they couldn't quite do it that squad over that three or four years and just get over the line or was it just one of them things in football? It was, yeah, I, I can't put my finger on it um, and I don't want to make excuses or anything. Um, for myself, <clears throat> I wasn't fit in that first leg at Hull. Um, I'd been out for, I think it was close to eight weeks with my knee um, and, you know, I got picked to play and, you know, as, as a player, whenever you get picked, you want to play and, you know, maybe I shouldn't have played but, that's looking back in hindsight. Um, the second leg, obviously, we changed the team. I didn't play, and, and we were so close, so unlucky to think. You know, when I, when I played under under Steve McLaren, one thing that made me laugh underneath him when we lost the game, um, he would always come in and say, "Lads, we never lost. We just ran out of time." And that was uh, that was that's what it felt like um, at that whole that second leg. It just felt like we ran out of time because we was on top, and. Um, yeah, it was unfortunate, but yeah, you can't put your finger on it. You know, I look back to, was it the season after that when Forney broke his leg? Or was it that? No, it was that year, wasn't it? Game. Was it just before that? Switch. Ipswich. Yeah. So that's game of the season, that was it. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Before that, so that was another a big factor as well. You know, it was a a game where none of us had to play. No, I didn't play anyway because I was injured coming back. But I think it was the last game of the season and I don't think we could have gone any higher or any lower. I think the playoffs were cemented. I think we finished fifth, did we? Or wherever we finished, we could, it could have yeah, checked yeah. results. So it was one of them, you know, Forney was, I've said this in the past, Forney, when he was fit, one of the best players I've played with. He was unbelievable. And a big player for us as well. And I'm fortunate enough to break his leg on the last day of the season. So... You know, you add all them things up. Maybe it was we was unlucky with injuries and stuff like that. So, yeah, I can't put my finger on it, but yeah, we were very unlucky in that sense. Is it difficult over the three or four seasons? Though I've got Dan. This might be wrong, but you played for six managers at your time in Derby. Is it is it hard when obviously you have someone? Well, one manager brings you in, and then it's in that season it changes, and you've got a caretaker manager. Then the next season you've got three managers in a season. Yeah. I mean, it's probably an obvious question to ask, but surely that's got to have an effect in some part as to you've got all the components, you've got all the players, but if you keep changing the brand of football and the manager, surely that's going to have an impact. Oh, a million percent. And it does. And I think even for me, when I come in and sign for Derby, you know, my 
best season at Norwich was when I played left side of midfield and scored 15 goals, got player of the year. And then I come here and under Paul Clement, he played me a bit more advanced in midfield, but then he left. And then who was the next manager after Paul Clement? Was it? But it was Boston to the end of the season, then Pearson. Maybe the end of the season. And then Pearson, and then I sort of played more defensive. I played more of a holder. And I've, I'll be honest with you, I've never played there before. But it's one of them things where I just want to play. And if a manager asks me to do a job, I'll try my best to do it. But I felt what happens when you change a lot is that obviously people got different ideas. So Clement played one way, Wassel played another way. All the managers play a different way. And they try and get the best players on the pitch. So they try and put you in a different position where you're not used to and that don't get the best out of them sort of players. And I think that's what happened every time a new manager come in. It was a change of formation or system. And it does, yeah, it does uh, make a difference. Like It does change the dynamic of everything because for me, I've been at times where you do a whole pre-season, uh, you work on a certain way of playing and then three months into the season that change, a new manager comes in, then he wants to change something. So there was a lot of change. I think I had more than six managers um, here. And yeah, it doesn't doesn't help. But then again, we can't use that as an excuse because we are professional footballers and you've got to adapt. Um, it doesn't help, but that I wouldn't say that was the main reason why like, we wasn't as successful as a team. We can only blame ourselves. You know, we, every year we, we found ourselves top of the, top of the table or or there or thereabouts by Christmas and then February we just sort of I don't know had the had a fall off and everyone used to call it a curse of Derby. Um February, March time we always used to fall off and yeah, it weren't nice being involved in that. I remember that yeah, I do remember that time and it did get to a point where it started as a bit tongue in cheek about February and then you get to the end of January and people would start like Well, we've got so and so next week, but it's February and it's it started to become a little bit of a thing in the end, didn't it? Um your last season at the club then, um, when Frank Lampard was here, we've had different players on with different opinions about that season. I think it, some of the games were a bit mad, so there's some good like some good memories to talk about. Um, Thorny once fa- basically, um, famously called Lampard a bell on this podcast, so there has been some <laughs> different opinions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Um, what was what was it like when when Lampard come in as a midfielder as a, as a, a attacking midfielder very much in Lampard's vein who likes to break into the box score goals so it must have been an exciting yeah. appointment for, for I was, you. when when he got appointed I was and I played against him before that so I was buzzing when I played against him but then when he got appointed and everyone was like oh my god friend Lampard. you get the phone calls ah oh, Lampard's just been appointed at Derby I think our group chat was going off as well and I was buzzing like you said there being a midfielder. And um, one of the, for me, up there with one of the best in the country, like England's ever produced at the, in the world at, at one point. Um, and when I got a phone call from him to say he'd been married, he phoned all the lads and just introduced him to him. I was like, hello? And he said, oh, I brought his friend. I was like, I can't believe he, he'd phoned me. I was speaking to Frank Lampard. So, and then, then I remember our first day when we went in, like, he standing at the door and he welcomed us, shook our hand, and he knew all of our names. And oh, you were a bit starstruck by him for, and I'd say that lasted about two hours uh, on the first day. Um, and then when he come in, you know, he just he had an aura about him. You know, he's a serial winner. Um, he just had a, a presence, a good presence about him. And I was excited, really excited on the first day to work with him. His first meeting, um, 
was was really good. You know, he spoke about what he wanted from the club, how he wants to play, how we would train. He was very much how you play is how you train. So he set standards really, really high in training. And I think the first three or four weeks, we found it hard because we'd never, ever trained like that. And, you know, that's just come from him throughout his career. And in this thing, thing with him, you couldn't argue it because he'd been there and done it. And I think that's, that's unique about ex-players who go into, who's been at the caliber of him, similar to like like Rooney when he was here, what he done for this club. I wasn't here, but, you know, speaking to the lads the same. When someone's telling you to do something and they've been there and done it and won the amount that he's won in his career, it gives you that lift to think, oh, he's telling me, so he must know. So that's why you do it. But yeah, his standards that he set, um, the way he wanted to play was really good. I got on with him well. I had a bit of a, a fallout, um, probably in my own doing with him. I spoke about it before when I got done for Brighton, uh, Joe Allen at Stoke. And then I found myself out of the team. But no, I'm at that, that year... Uh, with him, I really did enjoy it. We had our ups, we had our downs, but uh, it, again, it was his first job. He was learning a lot about us. We were learning a lot about him, and I think the first season was really good. Enough, and I was disappointed when he left because before he left, we we already sorted out that I was going to stay. And um, then he left and went to Chelsea, and that put out from there. So, on a personal view, I was gutted that he left because I wanted to stay and, and work under him again. But I think that. Yeah, he, he had a good first season and I think he got a good squad. And the thing with Lampard and, and like the big names is who they can attract as well. And we've got some of the best loan signings. I don't think anyone in in, in football would, would have the loan signings that we had that year ever again. The quality, you just look at where all three of them have gone on to now. So, and that's that was only through him, like what his name brought. Um, and, and we signed them players and yeah it was a good year a really good year I did really enjoy it and you know we was unfortunate again in the final to lose that and on the two crappy goals we gave away It's incredible like as a fan I didn't go to a lot of games that season because I was working but um, when you look at the results of like the 4-3 at Norwich beating Man United taking Chelsea all the way at Stamford Bridge yeah. you kind of there was some kind of dodgy results in and around occasionally but you could tell that he was he did still that kind of winning mentality, which I, I I wasn't a part of the change room, but that's what I kind of surmised from from watching it. There was a never never say die will win, no matter what kind. It of was, and it come from you know the way he trained, and he always he always said, train like you play. Obviously, you want to, but the harder you the harder you train, the easier the games become. So if you're training at 100% Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you're training 100% on a Saturday, it comes second nature. And that's what he was like as a player. And he said that openly. He said, listen, I wasn't the, the best as a player. I think you had said it before, but he one thing that he done is he worked hard on everyone else and he wanted that in his team and he installed that. And, you know, we, we had a good group as, as well. You know, I had a good group of uh, a lot of leaders in, in that squad. You know, you had the likes of Keezy, Curtis, myself, Alex Pierce, Scott Carson. Um, who else was there? You had a lot of leaders in that team and we drove that as well with the mix of the young lads as well. And the young lads were in awe of him. Anything he said, they were like that. So that was a good thing as well. And I think, yeah, his winning mentality, it, it spread onto his teams. And like you said there, we had a good, good, good games. We had good games and bad games, but that's just football. Um, and that's, you know, he found that hard as well. You know, he obviously being the player, he was used to winning a lot. I think he found it hard losing. And, you know, so... 
when we would lose a game, he'd be upset for about three, four days. And then it got to a point where you like, you didn't want to lose a game because you didn't want him to be upset. So, because he was that driven in, in, in wanting to win, that it spread onto us. We've spoken about the highlights of the season. Obviously, going into the playoff semi-finals, Leeds, one of your former clubs, we lose 1-0 at home in the first leg. No one's ever lost at home and gone away and got to Wembley before we went and did it. That night at Leeds, I don't think I've ever felt anything like it in my life. Yeah. I mean, feeling that away end at full-time, it's going to take something very special. Um, it felt like a promotion. It did, it did exactly. Yeah, then we forgot that we had another game to play. But yeah. could you uh, can you sum that night up? For me, I was obviously playing for Leeds, and obviously being at Derby, it was a it was weird for me, a weird night because you know I knew what to expect. I remember telling Marion stupidly. I don't know why I said this to him because I I knew he'd gone on to have the career that he's having now. I said to him, "You won't ever play in a stadium like this. You won't ever play in an atmosphere like this." And he's gone on and played the bloody World Cups and that. But at the time, I was, I was like to him, mate, you won't experience anything like this tonight, you know. Derby's going to sell out their way in. Leeds going to sell out their state. And when Leeds, like, get that Ellen Road rocking, it is. And I remember when we were walking out, and um, obviously Derby fans were singing, Leeds fans were singing it, and the atmosphere was... And he remember we stood in the centre circle, and he was, like, speaking to me, trying to speak to me, and we couldn't hear. And he was come up to me, he's like, oh, my fucking God, like... He was like nervous, not nervous, but he was like, "This is unbelievable." And then to go one nil down, and then before, sorry, before that at the at Pride Park, yeah, when they beat us one nil, and I know I knew a lot of their players, so I knew Luke Hayden, Patrick Bamford, and stuff like. We after the game, we shake their hands, going, "Oh, like well done, man!" And they were like, "Oh, good luck next year." Some of the players, because you do you remember a lot of their players who weren't in the squad were on the pitch. Yeah, and all in like normal clothes. They were all on the bench, and they weren't they? as well, like sat behind the bench, like the row behind yeah. the bench as well. Yeah, they were coming onto the pitch saying, "Oh, good luck next year, good luck next season." And I'm like, "We're playing you again in four days. What are you giving it for?" So that motivated us even more. So they were so cocksure of themselves, thinking that they were they had won the game already. It was only one nil up, but they were giving it so much. So when we went there, and I think having Lampard there for the for the young kids was was key as well because. Playoff semi-final at Leeds, Leeds versus Derby, for him, it wasn't nothing. He played in the Champions League final. So for the atmosphere and everything, and he was always speaking to the lads, don't play the occasion, just play the game, don't worry about it. Don't let your emotions come um, affect you and stuff, which is it's easy to say, but when you're a young lad, and even for me, I, the emotion probably got the best of me at, at sometimes, and especially when we went 1-0 down. So to start the game and then go 1-0 down, it's like, oh my God, it's going to be a long night. And I know it, it shouldn't affect you, but what happens during the season does affect you. Always look at the results and they beat us, was it 3 or 4-0 at their place? Yeah. They battered us at home, didn't they? And you always think that, and that is in the back of your mind. So when they went 2-0 up, you're thinking, and such early, you think, oh my God, with the crowd behind them, it could be a long night for us. But um, I think if you could write a game of like your perfect game, perfect time when to score, perfect time in half time, if you could write it at half time, you're scoring in this half time. To get a penalty, but everything just was that was just perfect for us, you know. Unfortunate Dwayne went off injured, but that was a blessing in disguise for us because Jack come on. Mm. And the I think what was crucial was when we scored, we scored Jack scored just before half time. Mm. And then we come out second half and Mountie scored. 
and that changed the game. And and I I always said this to the lads before and should have, but if we could get the fans a bit shaky or on their back, they would crumble because 35, 35,000 of their fans, if they're a bit shaky, and because obviously what happened the season before where they were close and they didn't do it, like they should have got promoted the year before or something. And um, if we can get their fans turned on them, it will be a totally different. And I think when that second goal went in, me, Keezy, Mountie was like, we felt we could go on to win this. We've got them, they're shaky. And then they just started making mistakes after mistakes and the fans started getting on their back. But I'm, I'm not saying that's why we won because we were really good. We deserved to win. We were a much better team. And then obviously Cooper gave away the penalty, brought Mace down and then 3-1. And it was one of the moments where the, the whole mood just changed. The game, the emotions of that game went from, for us, we were low. Then we went higher. Then when they scored, to make it three two, it was like oh crap, they're back in it now. The, the fans are back, and then when um, Easy put uh, Jack in for that last goal and the chip, and it went. But you got to remember that before that we had chances. H hit the post, Harry Wilson hit the post, so we were battering them. And um, when Jack scored that little chip, oh, it was oh, it was amazing. Then we ran over to the fans, and then full time when it was yeah one of the most emotional games I've been involved in. Where there was highs, there was lows, like, and everything that was riding on it, everything that was riding on before the game with all the Spygate and stuff like that, what happened during the season. So Lampard wanted to win that extra more. And, um, yeah, everything that came with that game, the Spygate, Lampard, he was fuming, um, when that happened, when Bielsa spied on us training. Um, them giving it before the game, oh, good luck next season, them thinking they've already gone through. And then to go away, I remember we we went up um, on the day of the game and we stayed at a hotel and there was Leeds fans outside our hotel trying to disrupt our afternoon and they were just getting abused all day. And then uh, to go and do that, yeah, it was an amazing night. I've, I've said to you there, it felt like a promotion and it really did. I've been, I've played at Wembley and played and one at Wembley, and that night is, is very much up there on, on level with getting promoted. Was the King's Head decent after? <laughs> I think that tab's still open there. Said, oh. <laughs> still paying that off. We're still paying that bar bill off. No, but yeah, it was good. And again, with you know, with the way Lampard was, he he wanted us to do that. He was like, listen, there's one thing that I didn't do in my career. He said, enough was celebrate my victories, like my big wins. He said, I wish I'd done that. But he said, he was very far. He said, listen, you enjoy it tonight and then you get your day off after. But then after that, when we come back in, we've still got a job to do. We've got one more game. But we forget about it. So we went out, yeah, and we enjoyed ourselves. I think you've seen from the videos and the photos that come out, we enjoyed ourselves. But then when we were back in, we went away to Portugal for a few days and we worked hard. And then, again, the final, yeah, it was just, we didn't lose that game. We ran out of time. Again, we were on top the last minutes. I thought we were going to come and yeah, just disappointed the final. I don't know if you, I'll stop there and then you want to talk about the final. No, no, no I was just going to back up what you were saying, that the run out of time thing, because, again, once um, uh, Jack comes on and, and scores and pulls one back, Derby in the ascendancy again. And you just think, it, it, it got, they've got to score. They've got to. But yeah. then, like you touched on it earlier, it's more the, the frustrating manner of the two goals we've conceded. 
you keep it nil nil, you nick that goal. It's it's a typical performance. Yeah. It's one of those things as well, like you know, Bogues was terrific that year for us. Mm-hmm. And I remember speaking to Bogues after the game, he was in tears, uh, Jaden Bogle, because he felt he was at fault for the first goal. And he wasn't. Maybe he did, he felt, and he's like, oh, it was my mistake. But he, and I remind him, like, listen, you had an unbelievable season. For all that you've done, like, you would have made mistakes all that year. But just because it's at Wembley and you feel like it's the, the biggest mistake of your life at this moment. But, you know, you've been terrific for us. And then, yeah, the second goal was the most, the one that hurt me the most. The second goal where Keller has just got beaten in the air by a five foot five. Mm. Yeah, it was that. That was the worst. Um, giving away that goal as a goalkeeper as well. He was he was distraught. But yeah, for, for to give away that goal, it just gives you a moment of time. But you know, when when Jack come on and, and got the goal, we had them on the ropes, and I felt it was only a matter of time that we were going to score, and then we didn't. And it was heartbreaking to do all that work um, in the play in the semi finals to go and concede two sloppy goals. Um, and losing the final, it was it was heartbreaking. Yeah, and yeah, I just hate thinking about. It. I've got one good memory at Wembley out of four, so um, yeah, it's not it's not my favourite place, but we go again, don't we? We'll be there. We'll be there this season. Um, just finally, before I let you go, I've kept you for an hour now. Just you, you touched on it earlier about obviously leaving the club, and if Frank stayed, you'd have been staying. So was it the the new manager that come in that decided that um, it was? You, <clears throat> No, it wasn't it wasn't the manager because so I come back pre season that year. So throughout the summer, after the after that final, we come back to Derby and we went to the yard at the stadium. Um and had a had a few drinks with everyone and we were speaking and stuff. And then um Frank just pulled me to the side, he's like, What are your plans next year? And I was like, Look, I wanna stay. And he was like, Yeah, um, I want you to stay. You've been brilliant for us since you come back because I remember I had that falling out with him where I didn't play for a bit. Yeah. I think that that brought us together. Um, that that made us stronger. Um, you know, I had a, a, a big heart to heart with him. That was in January, and I just said to him, "Look, I've, I've only got six months on my my deal at the time." I said, "I don't want to go nowhere because a, a club's were coming in for me to take me on loan, and um, they he was he was willing to let me go." And I said, "I don't want to go. I want to stay here." The window shut. I said, "I'm here now, and I want to play." And um, he was like, "Well, um, you got to train harder." So I got my head down training and then played and I played every game underneath him towards the back end of the season. So after the final, he, he said to me, yeah, like, what are your plans? I said, I want to stay. And then he said, all right, then um, I'll get it sorted. I'll give you a ring um, within the within the next week. So I went away on holiday <clears throat> and I remember I was in, um, what was I? I, was at, I was in Marbella on, on a friend's, uh, friend's wedding and then the news come out that Frank's gone to Chelsea and I was like, oh, no. So I tried to phone him. He didn't answer. Um, so then it got confirmed that he's gone to Chelsea and I was thinking oh no so I phoned my agent um, my agent phoned the club and said oh what's happening and then um, the club said yeah uh, we want to keep Bradley um, we'll, we'll sort something out so obviously the summer uh, finished pre-season come back around and the night before pre-season I, my agent phoned up the club and said what's happening with Bradley they were like yeah 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 we, we want to get a deal sorted so yeah um, Tell him to come in tomorrow. So I went in. Um, this time we didn't have a manager. Um, so Justin and Rory were taking training. Um, spoke to Mel. Mel had a meeting with, with the whole team and um, just said, look, we're, we're getting a manager. We're close to getting a manager and stuff like that. So then after 
the first day we were in, the next day we were going to America on tour. They went to America on tour that year. And um, because we didn't have a manager, he obviously, no one could pick a squad. So I think Mel and maybe Stephen Pierce at the time must have picked a squad to go. And I get it. Like, I was, I weren't under contract at that time because the season finished, but I come back and trained with Cooper because I wanted to stay there. And so we went back in from training on the first day and the squad list was up for the next day. Who's going to America? And I went on it. And then it was like, oh, this list's going, this squad's going, and these players are staying behind and training with the 21s. And um, so I remember I left the training ground, phoned Mel, we didn't answer. I phoned my agent, I was like, what's going on? The club said they want to offer me a contract. They want me to stay, I want to stay, but I'm not going on pre-season tour with them. They want me to train with the 21s. I said, um, at that time, my agent phoned, got, got through to someone, and he phoned the club, he said, oh, look, um, we want him to stay, but our main priority, which I understand, was signing a new manager. And he said, um, we've got a new manager in now. And this was the the day they left to go to America. And then at that time, I was like, listen, I want to stay, but I'm not coming in to train because I've got to look at myself. If anything happens to me, if I get injured or anything. So I said to the club, let's sort out a contract and then I'll come back and sign it. So they went to America. I didn't go. And then the club phone my agent said, um, oh, um, when the club get back from America, we've appointed a new manager now, Philip Cocker. So when the club get back from America, Philip Cocker wants to have a look at Bradley for 10 days to see if he wants to sign him. And at this time, I'm 32 years old. And I was like, so he wants me to go on trial for 10 days. And uh, I was like, look, listen up. I need to sort out myself now. I've got a family to look after. I, I want to get a club. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've done enough for the club for you lot to understand what I bring to the club. Like I shouldn't have to go on trial. And then obviously clubs were uh, phoning up, and, and my agent was was uh, phoning around at clubs. And then Blackburn come in for me, and then you know Blackburn offered me a contract, and then I come back to Derby and I said Blackburn have offered me a contract now. And it was this case, Philip Cocky said, no, I want, I want to have a look at him. I'm not signing him without him coming on trial. And and that was the case. So I ended up signing at Blackburn because I couldn't I couldn't wait. And again, I didn't want to go on trial because 32 years old, if go on trial or go and sign at a club and, and, and know what you're doing for three years. So, yeah, it was it was just one of them cases where it's an unfortunate position to be in. The club wanted me to stay and I wanted to stay, but... You know, the manager at the end of the day, he, he makes a, the final decisions and he wanted me to come on trial and and uh, wait for wait for the club to get back from America for 10 days and then look at me for 10 days. And I felt, no, it's, it, it weren't feasible for me. So I signed for Blackburn. It's been um, it's been great to, to chat over the last hour. I've got one more question, but um, as you said, you played in a great Derby era. The only thing that was missing from that era was that promotion. But we do, the Derby fans, and I go week in, week out, as you know. And um, you've got a lot of respect. And obviously, you've come back to the club now. So thanks for thanks for your time, Bradley. I really appreciate oh, no it. No problem. Any time. I enjoyed it. Uh, my last question is always sometimes a difficult one. But any regrets in your career? What would you change if you could? In my career or my time at Derby? Uh, in your career. My career regrets. No, and I know you might think, oh, no. but honestly, no. I feel, and I always, I said to you before, I'm, 
always look back where I've come from. I appreciate everything. So for me to have a 20-year career in football where at 15, I thought I'd never be a footballer. Um, to me, to make a 20-year career, play over 600 games, close to 700 games, play in every league, get promoted from every league. I've been promoted from League 2, League 1, Championship. Play over 100, play 100 games in the Premier League. Yeah, I've, 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 I think I've more than exceeded what I ever imagined um, at 15 years old. If you ask me at, at 16, oh, do you reckon you'd be a professional football? I would have said no way. So, yeah, any nah, I don't think I, I've, I've had any regrets in what I've achieved or what I've done in my footballing career. I don't think you should have either, mate. Top man, uh, thanks so much for your time, mate. No problem, mate. Anytime. Take care.